Currency Press is Australia's foremost publisher of the performing arts. We've been sharing Australian stories since 1971, and with those stories, we've also shared insights, ideas, and critiques. We think of them as the stories about stories, stories behind stories, stories that prepare us for the journey we're about to undertake. Hello, I'm Toby Leon, and this is Not In Print. Today, Noel Jordan is going to read his introduction to Silent Disco by Lachlan Philpot, which was first produced in 2011 by Griffin Theatre Company in Sydney. Noel Jordan is currently the Education Manager at Melbourne Theatre Company. He's previously worked as Director of the Come Out Festival, as Curator and Producer at the Casula Powerhouse Arts Centre, as Producer for Young Audiences at Sydney Opera House, and as a Drama Lecturer at the University of Melbourne. Here's Noel reading his introduction, which was first published in 2011. The first draft I read of Lachlan Philpott's Silent Disco was back in October 2008. At that time, I was working as producer, Young Audiences at Sydney Opera House. On first reading, the characters in the suburban landscape leapt from the page with immediacy and authenticity. And although at that time the house was not in a position to commission a subsequent draft, Lachlan and I spent the next year in dialogue, working together on the play at Playwriting Australia's National Playwriting Workshop and quickly putting together a rehearsed reading with actors for an audience of school students at Sydney Girls High School. The young audience gave the play a resounding thumbs up and afterwards we engaged in a lively discussion interrogating the moral compass of the play's protagonists. Over time, the text changed. Lachlan is never one to do massive rewrites after hearing the play read once or even multiple times over one week. Hearing the play read with the right voices is always crucial, never more so than here, with such demanding, rapid narration. From the beginning, Lachlan's writing style was prominent. As Alison Campbell observes in the introduction to Bison and Calder, Lachlan doesn't rely on dialogue as the main element of his dramaturgy but more interestingly adopts a range of linguistic devices to create a world that is both external and internal to its characters, particularly a scene-setting narrative voice that often does not belong to a character or voice their internal thoughts, but creates the atmosphere around the characters. Although this latter device is shared between characters in Silent Disco, it is the central voice of schoolgirl Tamara Brewster that frequently comments on and in turn brings alive the classroom atmosphere, as in this wonderful response to teacher Helen Petchell's question on the importance of having an opinion and being able to express it. Yawn, Mexican yawn, Mexican yawn flying around this shitbox. The classroom environment of Lachlan's silent disco is a world of boredom. Disengaged students look for any kind of distraction rather than engage in the here and now. It is a world peopled with long-suffering teachers who are constantly waiting, waiting for the attention of the classroom, for students to answer their questions, for the drone of the aeroplane flying overhead to pass, or for the bell signalling the end of another period. There is a tedium and pointlessness the events that occur within the walls of the classroom on a day-to-day basis. Student after student passes through these four walls and like Helen Petchell 
we question what becomes of them. Lachlan manages to capture this world directly and authentically. As an ex-teacher himself, he has been there and knows the terrain only too well. He knows implicitly what Petchel faces each day. In particular, the never-ending battle to attract attention over an iPod. It is a confrontation with a generation that tunes out and retreats into its own pulsating soundtrack with a tiny piece of technology that allows them to remove themselves from the immediacy of their own experience. Confiscation becomes a tug of war, as the dreaded iPod is tucked under collars and hidden in hair, providing relief from the discussion of S.E. Hinton's The Outsiders, unbelievably the same text that was taught in my high school in the 1970s. The microcosm of the classroom and interaction between students and their teachers is a world where nothing ever changes, but everything changes. Lachlan's analysis and reflection on this intensely structured world highlights its incredible impact over the shaping of all of our lives. Through Petchel's frame, we consider the position of the teacher in this world. We wonder at the endless stream of students who have passed through the doors and disappeared without notice, leaving behind assignments uncollected and ambitions never realised. Through her, we learn of the strange behavioural codes around students coming to the staff room, career expo travesties, teacher conferences on how to keep challenging students in the classroom, and staff meetings where bitter and angry teachers want to punish students by cancelling the school formal, potentially the only bright spot on an otherwise drab year. With dry theatrical humour, Lachlan also takes us into the lives of ex-students, through the droll character of Desi in her checkout job at Golo. This hysterical scene provides a glimpse into the lives of students who have dropped out and whose most exciting years are possibly already behind them, who stare in wonder as they encounter ex-teachers as customers with children, looks like he hates her, and are forced to consider that teachers may have some life outside school. Lachlan's informed observation is a damning indictment of so many state high schools staffed by teachers who never grow up because they never leave school, so they never get a chance to go out into the real world. Petchel, at least, represents teachers working within the system who care for their students, even if they are in danger of burnout. Into this place of inertia and aimlessness comes a voice of remarkable energy, pace and rhythm, 15-year-old Tamara. Tamara is the student lurking at the back of many classrooms that shows some glimmer of potential, of talent, a writer in the making. She is also a smartass, quick-witted and with an incredible acerbic tongue. As the playground erupts into lockdown drill chaos, Tamara Riley comments, one girl looks like she's fucking shitting her sports stacks. Tamara observes the world around her and narrates it to us with rich detail and texture. At the same time, we are acutely aware that she is only 15 and from the opening scene that she is three weeks, six days, seven hours into her first relationship with Jason Donovan, also known as Squid. It is a relationship for which they have no positive role models nor any guidance. Both mothers have shot through. Squids follows random men around the country, and Tamara's has left to start again with a new man of means. 
Over the course of the play, we witness the inevitable destruction of this doomed first love. As appalling as it is, it feels inevitable, like a distant, slow-motion car crash that we can neither prevent nor look away from. Lachlan masterfully divides the sympathies of the audience. Is any one person really to blame? Can one expect more or better for these young characters? The first draft did not include the climactic classroom confrontation between Squid and Tamara. It was referred to but never seen. I felt as an audience we were cheated of a great dramatic moment. I wanted to see Squid attacking Tamara about her devastating betrayal. With only a few references to what occurred, Lachlan and I set up an improvisation with a group of gun actors to test whether our instincts for this inclusion were correct. In the highlight of our workshop, we asked the actors to play out this moment. The public humiliation of Tamara in front of her class, having to accept her awful act of betrayal, is nothing less than tragic. What I didn't expect, and something which the actors so wonderfully evoked, was the sadness and vulnerability surrounding Squid. Devastated by Tamara's act, he responds in the only way he knows how, by lashing out. The place of a teacher in this environment was also something of a revelation. Petchel also confronts the reality of Tamara's flawed character whilst trying to protect her and Squid from the consequences of his actions. Our sympathies are tugged in three ways and we are left gasping. It is a credit to Lachlan that he managed to recreate so clearly the words, atmosphere and complex character motivations that played out in this improvisation and translate them into a succinct passage of text. But of course, he had led the actors to this point with such well-crafted characters that in some ways it was obvious what was going to occur. Not to detract from Lachlan's ability, there is something so direct and powerful in She's Just a Dumb Slut Who Fucked Your Brother, shockingly delivered from the mouth of a teacher that one wonders if it could only be discovered through improvisation. I concur with Alison Campbell's statement that Phil Potts plays are connected by themes of love and loneliness, pierced with the idea that we can't know anyone fully and that in the end we are always alone. Both Squid and Tamara tried to do things right, but they fuck up anyway. Tamara's father, Lawrence, is one of the play's most isolated and lonely characters. His wife, wanting more, has left him for Johan and her second chance kids. At first we have little sympathy for him. His racist slurs in front of Jason are cringeable and his lack of parental care for Tamara borders on neglect. We therefore don't judge Tamara's cragged up old faggot, hate him, what chance he give me? In fact, we almost rally with her against him. However, Lachlan's characters are always multifaceted. The revelation of Lawrence's HIV status changes the course of the play and the characters' behaviours. On one level, it is a subtle commentary on the continuing presence of this disease in our society, and on another, an exploration of the sexual identity of a man and father now perhaps exploring his options post-separation. The nurse's announcement to Tamara is as dreadful to her as it is to us. Who is this man? Did she ever know him? Tamara's ridiculous fear of catching the disease whilst living with her father reflect a society that should know better after 30 years, yet still demonstrates both ignorance and bigotry. 
The fact that Lawrence's true sexual identity is never fully analysed or revealed is appropriate. As in his earlier play, Bison, Lachlan reminds us of the ongoing presence of HIV AIDS in all of our lives. Ironically, the scene from which the play takes its title is the one genuine moment of connection between its lead characters. Dancing silently in a carnival tent, hooked up to iPods, Tamara and Squid experience one pure moment of happiness. Dancing face to face, listening to music selected by the other, separate and at the same time intensely together, it is a moment of sheer theatrical beauty. We face each other in the silent disco. I look at your eyes. Your tough eyes aren't tough, aren't hard. They're smiling. Right there and then, everything else blown away. Just you and me, Squid. You so close, I can feel your breath. They've never danced like this before. You reach out and pull me closer to you. The way you pull me in makes me feel like I'm the best thing in the world. Finally, I return to a recurring line from the play. Wonder how I'll remember this whether it be through pop songs, items of clothing, smells, books, a look, or even a tattoo. The characters in Silent Disco let us know that regardless of the boredom, they understand the importance of this time in their lives and that they will remember it. This gently woven theme of memory elevates the drama and invites us all to consider the course of our own lives. What more could one ask of any play? Thank you for listening to this episode of Not In Print. We hope you enjoyed hearing more about this great Australian play. You can find out more about who we are and view our full catalogue at currencypress.com.au. And if you have any comments or questions about this episode or any other episode, we'd love to hear from you. Just search for Currency Press on Facebook or Twitter and drop us a line. This episode was produced by Currency Press, with the generous assistance of the Department of Performance Studies and the School of Letters, Art and Media at the University of Sydney.